0: Welcome to the Thurfield Chapel Sermon Podcast. Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome. Great to see you here this morning. Welcome if you're watching online. Uh, If you don't know me, my name's Paul. I serve as part of the leadership team here as one of the elders and pastor at Thurfield Chapel. Uh, We've got quite a lot to get through this morning, so um, let's pray and we'll dig right into it. Father, we, we pray that you would give us that, that insight, that, that view of Christ that we so need. Lord, this morning, this day, I'd open our eyes afresh as we spend time now meditating on your word. Amen. So, it was 1991, and I was about to turn eight And it had been a difficult few months for us as a family. My sister had been in hospital for a while, and as a treat, my dad was going to take me to the cinema uh, to watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Now, of course, at that time in the 90s, you couldn't watch trailers on your phone. You couldn't get film breakdowns on the internet. And so my dad went on the basis of, I enjoy Robin Hood, and it was a PG, so it'd probably be fine. Going into the cinema, I've got my packet of jelly babies sitting down ready to watch the film. And the opening titles roll. There's a dramatic, heroic music. And then all of a sudden, we're plunged into this dark dungeon in the opening scene. Robin and his friend Peter are in prison. And they're accused of stealing bread. And Robin puts himself forward and he says, you know what? It was me. I'm going to take the blame For this Peter, you're not strong enough to take this punishment because what they were going to do was chop off the hand of the thief. So Robin steps forward and he places his hand on the block. And as the sword is lifted up, he says, this is English courage in his smooth American accent as Kevin Costner. And as a, as a seven, almost eight-year-old, I'm sitting there just shoving jelly babies in my mouth. Anything to distract me from this moment? And I turn to my dad and say, Dad, I, I think we're good now. We can go. <laughs> my dad looks at me and says, just, let's just wait. Just wait a moment and see what happens. And you know what? I'm so glad that we did wait because that quickly became uh, one of my favorite films. But the reason I tell that story is because it, it pictures something of our experience in life. Now, there are times where the story that is played out before us in our lives isn't necessarily what we expected. And if it was a film, you know we would just kind of get up and go out and we try and find another story. Because we live in a culture that prioritizes, that, that promotes immediate pleasure over long-term satisfaction, and in a digital age, we're, we're shaped for looking at the instant, that, that tendency to hop, so we, we hop between channels on the TV, we scroll on our phones, and if something doesn't grab our attention in the first few seconds, then we move on to something else. And that mindset that we get shaped into so easily spills over into other areas of life. And that might be work, it might be relationships, but it even spills over into our approach to God. And yet, like watching that film, sometimes the best things in life aren't always the immediate things. And watching that film as a seven-year-old, I saw what was right in front of me. My dad had the wisdom to see beyond the immediate. And if we just focus on what is right in front of us, we have this short-sighted approach. And if we have a short-sighted approach to God, we will miss His good and His glorious purpose in Christ. And in fact, it's more than that. If we have this short-sighted approach, we will dismiss, we will reject God's good and His glorious purpose in Christ. And everyone's looking for the good life. Everyone is looking for deliverance in some form of another from the hardships, from the challenges that we face in life. And it can be easy for us to channel hop, to be drawn into the immediate. And yet if we do that, we will miss, we will dismiss the real, the true deliverance that God has purposed in Christ. So how do we avoid succumbing to a short-term salvation? That's what we are going to see from our passage this morning. So we're continuing our series Uh, In Luke's gospel, this gospel written to demonstrate how Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all God's plans, of all God's promises. And from the very beginning, his purpose has always been that the blessing of his presence extends over the whole earth. At this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem with his disciples. His journey to Jerusalem where he said he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and after three days be raised to life. Uh, and last week, we saw this hostility towards Jesus uh, increasing. If you didn't hear last week's sermon, do you have a, a listen to it? it really helpful things Angry was drawing out for us there. And how Jesus pronounces this series of woes to say you're on the path of destruction. That's what a woe is, to say this path that you're on is not a path that is going to end well. And this series of woes to those who misrepresent God. Jesus announces a series of woes, and the the religious leaders, in response, they begin to oppose Jesus fiercely, as this increased opposition. But in this series of woes, Jesus has declared that God, in his wisdom, is going to send faithful representatives to those who misrepresent him faithful representatives into a hostile world. Just have a little look back at chapter 11, verse 49, just before our passage. God says, well, Jesus says, because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. So following Jesus, it is not going to be this easy path. And in preparation for the hard times that are ahead, Jesus now speaks these words that we've heard this morning. In hard times, it can be tempting to start a channel hopping. But Jesus warns against this short-sighted approach. These paths that appear to offer life ultimately end in death. So if we want the real thing, if we're looking for real deliverance, true, satisfying, long-term deliverance, we need to look beyond the immediate. And Jesus calls us to extend our gaze. There are three looks that we're considering this morning. Extending our gaze beyond the immediate. And that's a look inward, a look forward, and a look upward. So we're going to begin with the first one, a look inward. Uh, Do have a look at verse 1 of chapter 12 with me. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And so the Pharisees have started to ramp up their opposition against Jesus. We see that at the end of the last chapter, and this crowd gathers. I mean, it's such a big crowd that people are starting to trample on one another, and Jesus is going to speak to this crowd, as we'll see in the coming weeks. But first, he directs his attention to his disciples, and his words are, "Be on your guard." So these are words to Jesus's disciples. Words to us if we're following Christ. Be on your guard. Watch out for the yeast. The yeast of the Pharisees. Now now yeast is small. But it's, it's a very subtle thing. But has a massive impact. You only need a small amount of yeast. And it works its way through a whole batch of dough. So Jesus says you need to watch out for this thing. This yeast. Because it can easily creep in. And this yeast, we're told... Is hypocrisy. Now, what is this hypocrisy that we need to guard against? Well, actually, Jesus told us last week. If you look back again, chapter 11, verse 39, Jesus said, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And this hypocrisy is where there's this outward conformity, but there's no inner change, no inner transformation. And this isn't that the Pharisees were intentionally play-acting. It's not that they were insincere. The Apostle Paul speaks of his life as a Pharisee, and he was one of the most sincere people ever. He wasn't insincere in his devotion. And yet, still, he was a hypocrite. And there's this hypocrisy because of this disconnect between the outward appearance and the inner condition. So, a few years ago, when I had COVID, I didn't have any symptoms. Outwardly, I seemed fine, I seemed healthy. Inwardly, I was infected. In many ways, I was a hypocrite. Not because I was pretending. I was well, but because there was this disconnect between how I appeared and how I really was. and The same is true of the Pharisees. Sure, there'd be some who were insincere. Many were sincere, but they had this appearance of health. And their focus, their rules, and their regulations, it was all about this outward conformity. But it couldn't bring about any inner transformation. And Jesus warns against this, this approach, this yeast of the Pharisees, because it can easily slip into our life. That outwardly things look okay. It looks like we're making progress, and actually, you can make very quick progress outwardly. And we're doing Christian stuff, we're conforming to the image of what it means to be a good Christian, however, a particular group defines that. And so it's assumed we're all okay. Everything's going fine. And many of the recent scandals in Christian leadership have stemmed from this, where competence is elevated above character, where giftedness is exalted above godliness. And yet this isn't just a danger for those in high positions of power. Jesus speaks these words to all of his disciples. This yeast of the Pharisees easily slips him. And yet to focus on the external is a short-sighted view of salvation. To just clean the outside of the dish and the cup but to ignore what is inside, Jesus says, is sheer folly. And he goes on saying, in verse 2, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you've said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you've whispered in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed from the rooftops. And Jesus takes this picture imagery here, this image of someone whispering something in the most secluded secret part of the house, saying, and yet it's as though that thing is going to be proclaimed from the rooftops, that place of public announcement, and what is hidden in the depths of the human heart, God knows, God sees, and one day it will be made known. As Paul says in Romans, on that day when God judges the thoughts of people according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, what is on the inside, it really matters. And so what we need in life is not simply to tweak our actions, but we need our hearts to be changed. And that's why Jesus is going to Jerusalem. That's why he's going there to suffer And to die. And to rise again. Because we need more than just rules. The Pharisees have plenty of rules. And an abundance of rules and more strategies. is isn't going to bring about the change that is needed. What we need is not more rules. We need a rescuer. And Jesus dies for our sins. And he's raised for our justification. We're told in scripture. That if we are in Christ We are justified, which means to be declared not guilty, to be declared clean, as we sung earlier. A sinful soul, it is counted free. God makes this declaration, if we are in Christ, of not guilty. Not because of works that we've done, but because of Jesus' work for us on the cross. And that is a truth that has been treasured. It has been defended over the years that we are justified not by what we have done. We are justified. We are declared guilty through our union with Christ as we trust in Him. It's a truth that has been treasured and defended. And yet the thing is, it's often after that that the yeast starts to slip in. We start to think it's as though Christ cleans, he wipes our slate clean, and then growth in Christ-likeness is down to us. And if we land on the right strategies, if we come up with enough rules, and through our sheer determination that we will grow in godliness, and yes, we have Jesus for those times when we, we mess up and he will cleanse us again, but as though it's just down to grit and determination as what... As though what we needed was just forgiveness and then fortitude. As though Christ-likeness is just about doing more stuff and knowing more stuff. And the more we do and the more we know, then surely the more godly we must be. And then it comes as a great shock. When we hear of these people, when we see these situations of of people who knew so much stuff, who did so much stuff, and something is exposed in their lives. This ungodliness is exposed, and we wonder why. How could that have happened? And because we're so used to the outside of the cup being cleansed, the yeast easily slips into the wider church. So Jesus says, guard against it. Don't have this short-sighted view of salvation. And we need to look inward. Not to find ourselves, but to see ourselves. And then when we see ourselves, we come as we are. In all our poverty to Jesus. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. That's not just at the beginning of the Christian life. That is the Christian life. And the way we begin in Christ is the way we continue in Christ. As we've considered before, behavior modification is not the same as gospel transformation. We come to Jesus in all our poverty because only Jesus can cleanse us of our sin and only he can bring about this transformation that is needed it is in him that we grow in Christ likeness true salvation is in Jesus so what keeps us from the short-sighted salvation well we need to look inward but also we need to look forward verse 4 i tell you my friends do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after you, your body has been killed, has authority to throw you in hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Uh, several years ago, there was a, a guy in Florida who narrowly avoided a dangerous collision. He was driving his truck along the road. And out the corner of his eye, he sees something crawling up the passenger side of the car. It's a frog. And so, uh, I guess he does what we've often been trained to do. He gets out his mobile phone. And he starts filming this frog Crawling up the passenger side of the window. You can watch this online. And then the frog just seems to turn and look at him, and then just takes this leap towards this camera. And you hear this cry as the camera drops to the floor. He almost crashes his vehicle. And it's absolutely crazy. You know, just think about it. He's caught up focusing on a frog, it's a frog. It's not even a poisonous frog. I mean, what's the worst that a frog is going to do to you? Like, lick your face thinking you're a giant fly? So caught up with this frog that he ignores the real danger that's there, taking his eyes off the road. You're going to crash the vehicle. You crash the vehicle. What's going to happen? Jesus employs something of a similar logic here. Now, remember, this comes uh, in the context of what we saw in chapter 11, verse 49, of Jesus saying this increase in opposition, this persecution that's going to come against his followers, that it it will result in persecution and maybe death. And Jesus says here, look, if you're going to fear something, don't fear people. Fear God. To stand in opposition to humans, that might result in death. But if you, if you decide to stand in opposition to God, well, it's going to result in eternal death. If someone put a gun to our head and say, reject Christ or die. If we reject Jesus, now we might postpone death for, for moments. We don't know how long. But if we try to save our life by rejecting the one who is life, what good is it? If we try to save ourselves by rejecting the light and allying ourselves with the darkness and thinking that's going to give us security, if we ally ourselves with the darkness, we just share in the faith of the darkness. And Jesus says, don't be short sighted. Don't just, don't just look at what's immediately in front of you. Look forward. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And yet, lest we get the wrong picture of God from this, Jesus goes on saying, verse 7. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. God's God's not this bad person who's, who's getting some sort of glee out of causing people to suffer. Don't don't reject the one who is good. He is good, and if you reject his goodness, then well you are going to share in, in the fate of the darkness. God is not like a harsh headmaster who gleefully rubs his hands waiting to whip people who step out of line. God's not a harsh headmaster. He's more like a mindful mother. As we see in verse 6 Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Uh, This word here, penny, uh, translates a Roman coin that was the equivalent to about half an hour's wages. And so two pennies will get you five sparrows in the marketplace. This This is the first century equivalent of the KFC bargain buckets. So good deal. Now, we don't give much thought, I don't think, necessarily. If you're going somewhere like KFC, you don't ask, can you just tell me something of the history of the birds' lives? What were their hopes? What were their aspirations? You just, you're interested in, is this going to taste nice or not? The, these, these birds, these sparrows here, they're not seen as highly valued by people on the basis that you can buy five of them for like an hour's worth of work. But God doesn't forget them. They're not insignificant to God. Jesus says not one of them is forgotten by God. And this is the same language uh, that is used in Isaiah 49. So Isaiah 49 verse 15, God asks, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not Forget you, And there in Isaiah, God is speaking to a people who feel forgotten, who feel forsaken by God. And God goes on to declare that you will see my deliverance. I've not forgotten you. And what I am working all this through, one day you will see and you will know that I have not forgotten you. This present predicament, this is not how the story ends. God has not taken his eye off the ball. He's not taken his eye off us. Verse 7, back in Luke, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. God has this deep and intimate knowledge, this watchful eye. that's even greater than that watchful eye as a mother as she nurses her own baby. And if God has that watchful eye towards sparrows, Jesus says, well, then how much more so towards us? And yet, here's the tension. Those five sparrows, they're still sold to be eaten. Followers of Christ will still suffer persecution. But it's not because we don't matter to God. While we were still sinners, while we were hostile towards God, Christ died for us. Do you think He loves you any less now? That Jesus Christ, who is Himself God, and is in the most intimate relationship with the Father, who has made the Father known so that Jesus can say, if you've seen me You've seen the Father. Jesus, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do you think the affections of his heart have changed? The passion of God's heart burns just as fiercely now as it did when Jesus stretched out his hands and he surrendered them to the nails of crucifixion. Church, you matter immensely to God. And because we matter immensely, He will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death because of the glories that will follow. No eye has seen. No, it has no mind has conceived the things that God has in store for those who love Him. Yet we're told these things have been revealed to us by the Spirit. And we see it declared in Scripture. God's purpose that we should be co-heirs with Christ. To share in all His glory. Even as we share in His suffering. And we are brought into the story of Christ to share in his story that we might share in a resolution that could never have been written about us. That we wouldn't have even written for ourselves. And then as we look at where it's heading, as we look forward, and we're able to see that look forward because the future has been brought near In Jesus' resurrection, we see what God is working on, what He's been working everything towards. As we look at the risen and the ascended Lord Jesus, we get this glimpse of what lies ahead of God's gracious and His good and His glorious purpose. So in those moments where following Jesus seems costly, when it looks like deliverance will come by just rejecting Jesus... That's the way to life. When it looks like that, in those moments, Jesus says, don't take this short-sighted perspective. Instead, look forward. Look beyond the immediate and know that you are treasured by God. That he leads you through that valley of the shadow of death to take you to the fullness of that deliverance that is beyond your wildest dreams. In Jesus, there is true salvation. How do we avoid this short-sighted view? Well, we look inward. We look forward. and Finally, we look upward. Verse 8. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges, acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Now, when I was 11, we were at family holiday in Florida, and in a hotel room, getting changed, TV is on in the background, and there's an advert playing, and I'm not not entirely sure what the advert was about, but I can hear this advert playing as I'm getting ready. And there's a series of questions that are being asked to a group of young people, and they're giving their verdict on it. And I hear this thing say, black socks with shorts. And they go, oh, awful, so sad. Who would wear that? Now, today, black socks with shorts is quite trendy. Back in the 90s, not so. Uh, I look down at my feet and I'm wearing black socks. All I've got are black socks. I spend the rest of the holiday uh, sockless, just wearing trainers until I can get home and, and get some white socks. Just immediately discarding these black socks. If these black socks are going to put me in that awkward group where everyone's going to be like, oh, what's that guy wearing? I'm just going to get rid of them as quickly as possible. Because we want to fit in, don't we? We want that acceptance. And it feels as if something is blocking that sense of acceptance, of belonging. Then let's just get rid of it. Jesus applies that to our approach towards him here. In those times where the temptation comes to reject Jesus for the sake of the approval of others. And the Apostle Peter experienced this. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, as Jesus is arrested and as he comes into the courtyard of the high priest, and Peter is there and a young servant girl looks at him and goes, you're one of those disciples, aren't you? You follow Jesus. And in fear, he responds and says, no, I I don't know this man. And we can also face that same temptation. That in following Jesus might be met with hostility, it's tempting to pretend we don't know Jesus. Because we want that acceptance. And yet once again, to seek that kind of acceptance is a short-sighted view. Denying Jesus doesn't provide the acceptance that we long for. And when Peter denied Jesus in the courtyard, he wasn't embraced by the group of people there. They weren't like, oh yeah, come and join us. Come, Come home for dinner. Someone asks you, are you a Christian? Do you follow that Jesus guy? And we go, no. They're not going to say, come and be part of our family then. Come around for dinner. They're not going to invite us around to sit at their table every evening. They're not going to suddenly add us to their car insurance and write us into their will. And even if they did, because there are some parts of the world... Where if you belong to Christ, you are cut out from the community. You are cut out from the family. And yet, even if they did, even if they did bring us into that, the sort of closest intimacy of that family group, it is poverty compared to the true acceptance that comes through Jesus Christ. Verse 8, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. What a level of acceptance that the King of Kings, the Lord of the universe would stand before the angels and say, that's my brother, that there is my sister, this is my family and everything I have, it belongs to them. That's the kind of acceptance, the kind of embrace that floods and overflows our deepest longing. Jesus continues in verse 10, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And there are occasions where we might respond in fear. Denying Jesus just as Peter But if we turn back to Jesus, he's not going to hold it against us. There is forgiveness. And where our hearts are are cold and our affections are weak, Jesus' affections aren't diminished. If we come back to him, he says, there is forgiveness. And as the coldness of our heart is revealed, again, we come to Jesus in our poverty Looking to him, just as we considered earlier. And here's the thing, you know, any inward look has to be followed by an upward look. The inward look has to be followed by an upward look. We have to come to Jesus. Speak a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But everyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What does that mean? Sometimes people worry that they may have committed the unpardonable sin. Does this mean I'm done with? Normally, if we're worrying about it, chances are we haven't. In Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is speaking to the religious leaders. And there, he speaks of their continued, their persistent Rejection, their resistance to the Holy Spirit by their refusal to accept God's chosen deliverer, hardening their hearts against God's deliverance. And this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, this persistent rejection of God's deliverance in Jesus the Messiah. Because it is in Jesus, it is through Jesus, there is the forgiveness of sins. So to continue to reject him is to have no forgiveness. And a short-sighted view of salvation might lead us to believe that deliverance and acceptance, that it comes through rejecting Jesus. And Jesus says, don't take this short-sighted view. We need to look up. Look up and see the eternal deliverance and acceptance that is secure in Christ. That it is in Him that we are welcomed into the family of God. And no matter how far away we might have been, in Jesus we're brought near. These times of trial will come. and Jesus says, look beyond the immediate. To God's purposes, to His promises. And also to his provision. Verse 11: When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how to defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And it can be easy for us to worry about what is around the corner. Though we don't know for certain, we can easily start to imagine. What things might befall us? And then what will I do if this happens? And how will I cope in this situation? And again, Jesus instructs us this time, look up. Because what you cannot imagine, what you cannot foresee, is how the grace of God will meet you at that moment. Some of us have quite active uh, imaginations and we can run through different scenarios uh, in our mind. And we play through these things and try and plan out how we might respond to certain situations. And it can get very exhausting. And there's always a limit because we know there may be something that we haven't thought through. Or there's a way that we can't see out of that thing. And we can easily become stressed and anxious. And Jesus here says, don't worry. Don't spend your time worrying about it. Because what you haven't factored in, what you cannot factor in, is how I will provide for you. Because it hasn't been given yet. In that hour, it will be given. But Jesus says it hasn't been given yet. But when that moment comes, the Holy Spirit will give you everything you need. In this particular context, those words to speak. Those words of defense. Just to sneak in one quick uh, last illustration uh, and to crib something from Corey Ten Boom uh, who we looked at a few weeks back. When we go to London as a family uh, on the train and whether it's you going through the underground or at some of the sort of bigger stations and you have those gates that you have to go through. I give my children, their ticket to get through the gates when we get to the gate. When they need it, when they need that ticket for that gate to open, that's the moment that I give it to them. And they don't need to sit on the train on that like, journey, worrying and stressing about how am I going to get through those exit gates? Because I've got the ticket. It's safe and secure. And when we get there, when they need it, that's when I'm going to give it to them. And the same is true with God's grace. His grace is sufficient for us. And it is perfectly timed. There's a great deliverance in Christ. And so what is to keep us then from this short-sighted salvation? Well, As we've considered this morning, this look inward, this look forward, this look upward, and in all those looks, we need to be looking to Jesus Christ. Because it is in him, it is through him that true salvation, true deliverance is experienced. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are mindful of us, that you know our frame, you know our needs, and that you have freely, graciously provided everything that we need in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would open our eyes afresh more and more to see and to, to know, to rest Uh, in your grace in Jesus. That we would not be short-sighted, that we wouldn't be looking for the immediate, that we would not let go of that eternal security that you have given us in him. And for those maybe who are here this morning or or who are listening who don't yet know of that true deliverance, Jesus, Father, I pray that you would also give them open eyes, Lord, to see just how good and gracious and kind you are, Lord, that all of us together would lean not on our own understanding or the, the many offers that surround us uh, in this life, but would lean on to, to that which is secure, Lord, that is true faithful and unfailing, or to to lean on Jesus himself. Set our gaze, set our focus on him, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or would like prayer relating to anything you've just heard, then please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. You can do so by emailing us using hello at thurfieldchapel.org or fill in the contact form on our website or send us a message on social media. Thank you again. and Please do join us next week online or in Thurfield itself at one of our services or events. We would be delighted to welcome you. God bless.